Well, know. that's what we call a uh, too hard, too fast, two hundred dollar right. Uber charge. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> kind of story. <laughs> I've been with ballerinas and I've met with the queen and I've known a lot of women in between. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Well, welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. This is Jim Eddy, and boy, I have realized a dream of a lifetime. I have been a guest on this podcast, yeah, one yeah. that I have actually listened to several times. I actually know one of the dudes pretty well. I'm starting to know the other guys, so... I'm feeling pretty good about the fact that I was able to actually be a part of this thing. So thanks, fellas. Appreciate You're it. welcome. You're just drunk. <laughs> of course. I wouldn't I wouldn't be saying that if I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast of the century. It's the local. Right. So I, I think he should get a PhD. I think he primary. should be a faculty member, but he doesn't want to. But it's all right. Wait, what do you mean? I think you'd be a great uh, faculty member. You have so many years of uh, teaching experience now. A faculty member, like, what do you mean? Like, oh, at the university level, teach oh, people no, see, how to be teachers. For me, I'm not much of like, I want to deal with people, like, in general. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't know what the word is, it's gonna sound wrong, but I don't want to, like, oversee somebody and they're gonna piss me off and I'm just gonna hate it. Um, yeah, that's good. That's what oh, wait. Great- Jim, wait. You know what, Jim? You, because you, he's been a director for a big universe or multiple universities, I guess. What, what uh, employees have you had that have pissed you off and how did you deal with them? You don't have to mention names, of course. But... <laughs> or you can. That's, or you can. I you just, know what? Screw it. Name everybody's name in there. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> I just get it. No, no. But I think your point is a good one, George, because – because um, you know, my wife is an administrator now, okay, mm. and she got trained in, in uh, public health when we came here. And unlike me, I always, I always worked in financial aid, so I didn't make jack shit for salary. But she, <laughs> she quickly doubled my salary in, in her field. She's in public health, and, and she works at the hospital the, in the medical school here in Ann Arbor. And she doubled my salary like years ago. That's why I was able to retire as this um, well-preserved young man that you see in front of you uh, because mm. – She's. We don't. We don't need my meager salary anymore. Um, but you're right, George. That when you are an administrator, particularly the higher up you are, mostly you're just dealing with headaches. Supervising people, uh, as much as it's a valued skill for many people, it's the very definition of their living hell. Because a lot of people don't enjoy conflict. And whenever you're the ultimate boss of an operation or a, a, a hierarchical organization like higher ed is all about the hierarchy um, someone's always going to be hating you it doesn't matter whether you're hateable or not just because you're the director or the dean or whatever you are and i've been both of those at different places over time there's some people are going to hate you and you're going to have to work with them and sometimes that means you have to reprimand them or at least you have to listen to their stuff sometimes you have to fire people but to what i think your question was uh were um this is an illustration, and it gets into a sensitive area, which I, I don't mind doing. But uh, in one of my positions, before I retired from my my 12 years of working in the financial aid office at Michigan, my primary role was I trained new people. So we would hire people. 
we wanted them to have, they needed to have a bachelor's degree. We preferred a master's degree, but wasn't necessary. And they didn't have to have financial aid experience, but they needed to be intelligent. They needed to show that they could learn and they needed to be trainable. You know, it's a reasonable thing, right? <clears throat> but I was the trainer. And so people would come in with zero understanding of financial aid, but a willingness to learn. And they would be with me intensely for six months, their probationary period. And when I say intensely, I mean daily, five to seven hours of nothing but Jimetti in your face. Can you imagine that kind of a nightmare, right, as a new That would person? be awesome. Having to listen to me drone on and on and on about all this financial aid bullshit. So anyway, I would be training people. And it wasn't usually one at a time. When, when we would have openings, we had a pretty big staff. We have 51 people on the staff. And so when we had an opening, we might have two or we might have three, depending upon, you know, the season and who, who left or whatever. Um, and the, the, the irony is that people would leave our office all the time because the pay was so shitty in, in our financial aid office for a fully trained counselor. Once they survived the Gemetti training, then they would leave our office after a year or so often and they would earn seven, eight, nine thousand more dollars doing the same work with less challenge at the local community college because <laughs> our pay our pay was for shit. So it was this endless right churning. usually more days off too in the community college. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. But churning through. So anyway, in terms of a well, th I'll think about this as a supervisory nightmare or whatever, uh, or at least the situation I found myself in, which I don't think I brought on myself, but. Obviously, somebody else thought differently. So I was training two people at the same time. One was uh, a white male, uh, somebody who had recently graduated from graduate school. And the other was an Hispanic female who had actually she had some financial aid experience, not much, about a half of a year for, at Michigan State or a different, a different place. Um, and they were training with me at the same time. They both knew nothing about our, our operation, and I had to assume they knew nothing about financial aid. So I was teaching them both the same stuff at the same rate at the same time. <clears throat> and as is true with any two learners, they were learning at different paces. And the, the guy didn't have a lot of distractions in his life, was very bright, just got out of his master's program, was able to really grok and understand the concepts in needs analysis and higher ed and all the shit I was teaching him and was able very quickly to kind of go out there and do the work properly. And by properly, I mean not make a lot of mistakes because that's one of the things you need to do as a trainer in that kind of a six-month intensive. You have to review everybody's work when they're out there on their own because they're not really on their own. You're still holding their hand. So I would review his work. It was largely good. I could correct him. He would learn from that, whatever. That wasn't true for the young woman. She made a lot of mistakes. She was nervous. She had a lot of problems at home that to some extent she was bringing into the office. She was getting a lot of shit wrong. And, and with there is a lot of gray in financial aid, but there's some rules you just can't really break. There are some right ways to do stuff and some wrong ways. And I would teach her the right way and she would do the wrong way and I would correct her. So what she took from that, and this is getting to your point, she made a complaint about me. She complained to my supervisor that I favored the white guy because I favored white males and she was an Hispanic female. Those damn Latinas. Sounds about right. I mean, yeah. I can see that. They always... She, <laughs> I we, feel we, that we, we attention him. right now. She was right, though. 
We she feel was your pain. right that I preferred the white male, but not for the reason that she's thinking. I preferred him because he did it right, and I didn't prefer her because she fucked it up. <laughs> those are two different things, okay? And I'm not saying that I don't have any unconscious bias or white privilege. I'm sure that I do. I get that. I've done some work, and I understand that that I'm not perfect. So I'm not saying that I don't have an ounce of racism in my body or anything like that. I'm just saying that she was wrong about that. But that's the kind of shit that you need to deal with. You, you're doing your job, and you're, you're not finding fault with the person not making mistakes, and you are finding fault with the person making mistakes. The rest of it is coincidental, folks. So that's the kind of stuff that gets thrown into your face if you're in any kind of a supervisory position over time. So. Jim, but did you mansplain know? anything? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. And do not answer it. <laughs> no, but I suspect that I probably did some mansplaining that maybe made her crazy because I. this is one of the things that I, I fall back on as a white male of privilege is that I do get frustrated. And when I have have tried to teach something, I think of it as a teaching situation, and it isn't working, I'll try something else. And if that doesn't work, then I'll go, it's, it's still, still got to be me. This person has a unique learning style, and I haven't broken through yet. But when I get to like the third, fourth, or fifth time, then I think I start to get frustrated. And I probably do relapse into mansplaining, and I probably over-explain things. It, it can be taken on a sexual bias um, it could be taken as a sexual bias issue at that point. And me, it's, it's me just getting frustrated. Like, I don't know how to get through to this fucking person. I don't know what to do. <laughs> hey, and I get it. I think, and I, I want to go back to how I said, like, you know, I'll get, I'll get eventually pissed off with this person. And then I'll just hate the rest that, uh, of the stuff that I have to do that involves with this person. Right. So, right. Exactly. Like I've always said this and I'm like, I've never, I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast, but I'll say it because I've always said it in person to people. Um, when people find out or they know I'm a special ed teacher, they're like, oh, that's so hard. I can't believe you. Bless you for the work. And, and I get it. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I always tell them, it's like, it's not, it's not, it's hard. But to me, I think it's harder not working with the kids, but working with the adults. Right. Right. The adults what, what about with make, the parents? Is it hard to work with the parents sometimes? I I am very lucky that most of the parents like me. Not everybody. Uh -huh. And they don't have to like me, but they at least respect what I'm doing. Sure. And they understand because I am very open to what the what what I'm doing in the classroom, what I believe yeah. is gonna help is gonna help their child. So like I don't like I don't say you know, there's no sneaking around. It's like, this is what I'm presenting mm -hmm. for you uh, that may help your child. Now, something I also will say, it may not help them. I may be wrong, but at that point, we'll fix it. We'll see where. Right. So, but I'm saying it's like, it's a, a coworker, colleague thing. That's when it's like, yeah, it's a lot harder to work with the adults than to work with the children. And not everybody. I get along with most of the people that I work with, mm -hmm. but I think that's what makes it harder. And when it comes to administration, like right now, as as just the teacher, low, the last person in the rank, you know, the oh, yeah. lowest person in the rank, That'll I work. can say 
Okay, this person, I uh, we're don't all like the first way... placers, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't like the way they they work. I don't like the way they come at certain things. So then I can just avoid them. But if I'm administration, I feel like I'm perfectly capable of doing the job. But then I now have to deal with this person. Right. That where as a teacher, I can just say, eh, not my thing. I'll walk away from the situation. I'll carry on with my job, my uh, my life, and be happy. No, I, I totally get that. It makes sense. And I think the reason that people, like my wife's job, I mentioned hers, um, she supervises a bunch of people and has to deal with a lot of conflict. And she makes a lot of money. And I don't, I don't think that's coincidental. Um, I mean, there's not always a correlation between what you're paid and the contribution or the demands of the job. There's not always a correlation there. But I think in the case of administration in higher ed, there is. Generally, you're getting paid to deal with more shitty problems. And the shitty problems are interpersonal problems. And they're, they're adults who act like children who can't get along, who can't figure shit out, who can't do their job without whining, who miss deadlines. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's, and so, I mean, I hear her complaining about this stuff, and we sometimes try to problem solve it because I've had a fair amount of that over time and having to deal with that as well. But that's um, the, the living hell of supervising other people is why people get big paychecks in higher ed anyway, and maybe in business. I, I don't know much about yeah. the, the so, business. I don't know if you know this, Jim. So I was a, a manager of operations at a hospital uh, yeah. here in West Texas. Yeah. And so I remember when I first started, my director, he's off. He's like, hey, man, I know we're in charge of operations. He's like, really? We're just here to babysit. That's there you go. Our, that's really our job. So just that's the truth. <laughs> right? Just try to get people to do their jobs and uh, just deal with whatever issues and conflicts come up. He's like, that's really your main job. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. This whole podcast is just babysitting. Worm babysits <laughs> me. I babysit Worm. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> My wife it's is like happy a not, having to do, not having to babysit me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and Jim, I wanted to mention too, I would have loved your training. So I've worked at two different universities, uh, one community college, and uh, I've even worked in different positions within those institutions, right? And each time, every time I go, I'm expecting training. And they, each time they always tell me, well, uh, just uh, just do what you can and uh, let me know if you have any questions. So I'm right. always having to figure it out myself every right. time. That's known as not training at all. Yeah, exactly. And then here, learn how to swim. Figure it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And then I end up swimming, and then and then I'm expected to train people that come right. in. And it's like, God, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even get training. God, <laughs> oh well. Well, you know, that's the one thing that I miss. Well, not the only thing, but one of the things that I miss about how the pandemic has changed uh, everything about life in the last year in, in this country and probably in most countries is that I used to have an opportunity, even as a retired person, to go and present trainings because I love to train. And I had, you might not remember this, Joaquin, but I had a major series of presentations I was going to be doing in March last year. Mm. And I was going to do those and then come back and finish up my work in Texas. But instead, the coronavirus hit. I packed up all my shit and never came back. But they also canceled all my trainings. And I haven't, I haven't been in front of a crowd, a real crowd. I've done some Zoom trainings, but it's not the same thing. I haven't been in front of a crowd of people or in a conference room well, not just me, anybody in that situation in over a year. And I really look forward to that because I really like doing 
to teaching and, and group training. So hopefully someday, um, I don't think it's going to come back quite in the same way. I think people have figured out how to do training without having to go to a conference center. So I, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's going to be a change in how it's done to some extent. Um, but I do miss it. I, I do miss the opportunity. It's almost like a classroom experience, and I miss that opportunity. Do you get Do you get a little bit of a high being in front of the crowd? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I really do, because um, I like to perform, and I think the best teachers think of themselves as also being performers, because they're trying to keep the attention of the people that they're trying to teach something to. And I'm also a singer and a songwriter. And so I do like these Zoom open mics every week now, which is more often than I used to do live open mics. But there's something lost in translation. There's just something different about silent applause on a Zoom screen from the rush or the high that you're talking about, from knowing that knowing that you either have or have not connected like with a room full of people. So I do miss it on, on all those levels. So you get those... Uh... Those, that random uh, applause right here on the corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, the little clap. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nice. Yeah, there's some new reactions on Zoom. We got the heart thing now, and uh, some of these other things. It's, it's. I awful. know they need to. They they need to just give us the finger already. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Come we on, just, man. We that would be gorgeous. Hey, I have an idea. <laughs> Raise your hand. Give up the finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Oh shoot! Um, I think this is a great time to to plug in your. You have some YouTube songs on, um, or you have some songs on YouTube, right, Jim? Don't you? Oh, I've got a bunch of crap on YouTube. Yeah. Now's the time to plug them in. Uh, where can people find them? Well, that's a good question. But before I answer that, let me tell you where they should go first, because I just completed my first album. Uh, you young people might not know, but there are these things called albums. What's an album? Yeah. Yeah, it's a conceptual. Is that like an NFT? Yeah, it's real similar. To NFT. Yeah, yeah, okay, very, very similar. Let me see if I can um, give you the address because I have a Bandcamp site and I should know it by now, but I don't know that I do. Yeah, so if you go to jimeddy.bandcamp.com, you will see my brand new release, which is called Too Many Records. And this is part of a challenge. So there's this thing called International Concept Album Month. And it was started by a guy who used to live in Michigan. He lives in New Jersey now. And for the last five years, he's put out this challenge. And the challenge is very specific. He wants people to write a, a minimum of a 40-minute long album project of all original material. And you write it, perform it, record it, obviously, and post it as a album collection around some kind of a conceptual theme and do it all in the the 30 days of March. So from start to finish, you got to do an album in 30 days. And so if you go to jimeddy.bandcamp.com, you'll if you're interested, you would see that I have a 20 track album and half of the tracks are spoken introductions to the songs. And then the other 10 are the actual 10 original tracks. And the concept, which is talked about in the intros to the songs, um, is that I've got too many records. I'm in this room and I've got all this music. It, essentially, if it's obsolete, I probably own it. I have, <laughs> I have LPs. I have cassettes. I have eight-track tapes. So when I say I have, I have thousands of LPs 
hundreds of cassettes, hundreds of eight-track tapes, um, probably, I don't know, probably thousands of CDs at this point. So I've got all of this obsolete shit that nobody cares about because everybody streams music. Not everybody, but yeah. most people. Anyone, anyone that listens to a podcast has no idea what any of those things are. Exactly. Yeah, the, guy's, the guy's talking Egyptian here. You know, the, does not Hieroglyphics. At all. Does not compute at all. So that's what this record, this album, this collection of songs for you youngsters out there is all about having too much old, old school music, but still being obsessed with music. So all of my songs are about the concept of listening to music. So it's one of my obsessions. So that's where you'd want to go first, to jimeddy.bandcamp.com. Otherwise, just search out Jim Eddy on YouTube. I do have my own YouTube channel, and I've got a bunch of my original songs that I perform there, and I do probably an equal number of uh, cover songs of other artists as well. So I've been with ballerinas, and I've met with the queen, and I've known a lot of women in between. You've got something I've never seen It's a spiritual vibration And I've been to England and I've been to Spain And I always thought I would return again But compared to you, every place I've been Is a hollow imitation uh, What well, got you into songwriting and singing? Yeah, that's a good question My older brother is a musician He's always had a real job as well But he's... He's actually a much better musician than I am, much better singer, too. And he used to be in a country band growing up. He was in a country music. And more, much more recently, although he's older than I am, so he's pretty much retired from the scene as well at this point, he's been into bluegrass. And he's a great guitar player and a picker and a singer. And he started writing songs a number of years ago. Um, I think I didn't start, I started writing songs when I lived out in Arizona, to be honest. I wrote my first songs out there. Most of them were pretty shitty, but some of them have survived and I still perform them today. Um, but I got into songwriting in earnest when I moved here in 2006. There's a thing locally called Songwriters Open Mic, and there's a guy named Jim Novak who has a, a, a gathering the first Tuesday of every month. And people come that first Tuesday and he requires that you play only original material. And he records it for a local access TV station, and he also posts it to YouTube. So the other place you can see some of my stuff, if you're interested, in terms of the original material, is you would search YouTube under Songwriters Open Mic Ann Arbor. And then you would find these half-hour TV shows, and a number of them would feature me. And so there was some pressure to keep writing music so that I would have something whenever that first Tuesday rolled around. And so it became more of a habit in the early 2000s. And I've got a, a book right here. I'm going to reach down and grab it. It's a loose-leaf binder with all my songs. And the title is My Daughter's Inheritance, The Underrecognized Songwriting Brilliance of Jim Eddy. And so <laughs> all, of the money, all of the songs that will never earn me a dime, much less her inheritance, <laughs> are in here and there's not a lot but i've probably written i don't know close to 50 songs over the years and some of them are good even objectively i think they're good some of them are really shitty and you'd have to really have an esoteric interest in some of my um 
more esoteric interests that I have to, to really care about. Do you about have it. any formal training into songwriting? No. Well, yes and no. Um, none originally, but I did participate just about the time I started at UTPB doing some work in October of, what was that, 2019, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I went to a three-day songwriters retreat in northern Michigan. And that was awesome. It was expensive, but it was worth it because you had these tremendously talented recording artists and songwriters who would teach workshops. And you could learn a lot about the craft, uh, particularly from the lyrical side, but also from the musical instrumentation side of how to write and perform effectively as a songwriter. So I did that somewhat recently. But I've got books on songwriting, and I've got some online song through youtube some on online songwriting tutorials particularly from some of those songwriters in scotland that i'm fond of that i've i've been able to glean some information so one of the things you can get better at over the years is your songwriting just like if you're a writer you can become a better writer if you attend to the craft you can become a better songwriter if you pay some attention to it i'm not much of a singer i'm never going to be much of a guitar player my hands are full of arthritis and so even if i thought i was a good guitar player the nimbleness just isn't there anymore but all of that or those are just excuses if you're a good songwriter you can still have something to communicate so anyway that's so, a long answer. question jim would you will you play us a song Will I play you a song? Uh, maybe at the end. I I on. could do that. I'm I I would have yeah I could actually I could hook. I'll play up. along with you too. So yeah, well that's tough to do on Zoom, but we could try. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I could plug in my guitar to my my focus right. I've got my my mic. So, yeah, it's if, up to George. I don't. I don't if, know if you wanted that, I could do it. So let's do it. I, I'm down. That that would be. Okay. It will be good. Okay. Um. Wait, wait, there's, but I don't know if you want to do it now, but there is just one more major thing I do want to talk about. Yeah, but, sure. What, right. you, what you got? All right. So I want to talk about your travels because uh, uh, I know you've been not just different states, but you've, you've been literally all over the world. How many countries would you say you've been in? Um, well, on my trip around the world, I visited 22 countries. But in addition, if you count Mexico and Canada, then it all counts, I guess, right? Yes. Um, we never count Mexico. Even the U.S. Especially I, Canada. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I've been to twenty. Yeah, we'll be. We'll say twenty-four countries I visited. So okay. I'm going to be going back to Iceland. So here's the Reykjavik. Oh man, I've always wanted to go. There's to a Iceland. little bit of Viking in all of us, it says, and it says founded 874. That was the original settlement in Reykjavik, and so I'm going to be going back there. That was the last stop on my round-the-world trip, but I this. I mean, the, the short story here is that I told you already that my wife makes a lot more money than me, right? She's the smart one. I'm just dumb, the dumbass and so forth. And so she more than doubled my salary. Basically, basically you're living the dream. Exactly. The dream. And dream. you're the smart one for marrying her. So well, I guess, go. yeah, it's good to have a trophy wife who makes more than you. It's a good yeah, thing. There you go. So um, I, I originally was going to retire when I turned 62. Right now I'm 64. Okay, so it was two years ago, and so I was going to retire on my birthday just to have a target, just something to shoot for, because I was looking forward to not having to work and just doing stuff if I wanted to. And and she said to me, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. You can kind of read in where I might be embellishing a little bit. She said, Jim, I have a better idea. Why don't you instead work through the end of the year, 
and let's take your meager salary and let's put that in the bank. And then you can go retire in January and take a trip around the world. I said, okay, done. I locked that thing down in like a half a second. I said, let's do that. Absolutely. So that's what I did. I worked through that December, had to come back for technical reasons to claim my vacation time or something. And my official last day was the 4th of January. I got on a plane on January 21st, headed to Hawaii to get started. I just kept going west all the way around the world. I came back on April 22nd, which was the day after Easter that year, uh, from Iceland. And I hit 22 countries in that span. It was an incredible trip. Uh, just, I highly recommend a trip around the world. I wow. highly recommend it. It was so awesome. It's like, is it is it true that once you hit the other side of the world, it's so much easier to travel between countries? Well, it kind of depends on the countries because, again, um, I was doing a lot of flying. I flew, um, I don't know, over 35,000 miles. And so... Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily true once you're out of the U.S. to travel freely. But what was true is was easier to travel in Europe because if you were had a U.S. passport and you were visiting a European Union country and then you were moving from there to another European Union country, this was before Britain bugged out with Brexit, okay, mm. um, then the Brexit was happening but hadn't happened yet, basically, okay, then it was very easy to move through countries because you didn't have to keep showing your passport and doing all that stuff and going through an intensive immigration review. But when you went to certain countries, like Cambodia, for example, it was basically like a strip search. I mean, they didn't throw you in prison, but it kind of felt like that was right around the corner. And so I wouldn't say that it generically was easy to travel between countries, but once you're within the European Union, it was very fluid, very fluid there. (laughs) And cheaper too. I remember flights were cheap. Have you booked them in advance? And yeah, I, I booked the flights and... with one company. That I mean, there's a lot of companies that'll do these round the world things, but um, it was cheap enough. And when you got to other parts of the world, like uh, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Reunion, Madagascar, some of the poorer third world countries, I mean, the power of the dollar is such that you can live like a king mm. on nothing. Because just being an American, you're so much wealthier than the people who live in those countries and so your your basic necessities and and i did it on the cheap anyway i didn't stay in hotels i camped half the time mm-hmm. the other half the time i stayed in hostels a couple of times i did a, a airbnb when i was in scandinavia uh, but i did hostels and stuff and i was able to play music too i was able to actually do open mics in five different countries wow. i didn't have an instrument with me but i, I was always always able to borrow a guitar so people love live music all over the world. And all of this was one year before coronavirus. So I Man, just you lucked out. <laughs> barely got lucky. I was able to do that trip while it was still happening. So Wow. But you did have to miss out on your Iceland trip, though, right? That got delayed. I did. I, I, I scheduled it for last summer, and that got bagged through COVID. So I'm going now. Iceland, as you might know, reopened very recently to vaccinated visitors from the United States and other countries. So I'm going to be in Iceland from June 20th through July 20th. during, And it's going to be during the time of the midnight sun. So up there in the summer, it's the high summer, and then the sun never completely sets. 
I mean, it sets for like a few minutes between like four and six in the morning, but otherwise it's bright as day, uh, almost 24 hours a day. It apparently makes people crazy. So I'm looking forward to going crazy. <laughs> and I'm going to be flying my brother out there, not for the whole trip, nice. uh, but for a week. He's going to be out there with me. And he, he's been to Iceland once before, as have I. And it'll be great to spend some time uh, with him. I haven't, I haven't been vacationed with him in like – Ah, oh, fuck, I don't know, 40 years probably. Wow. So that would be great. Since so anyway, Reagan. <laughs> that's a little bit about my travel. So, yeah. Wow, that's, that's awesome. pretty cool. So have your U.S. passport ready and your vaccine passport. <clears throat> exactly. I've got, my, I've got my vaccine <laughs> card, which they'll still take. By then, I'm sure they're going to require that I have a vaccine passport app as well. Uh, yeah, and an app. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and the passport. Yeah, I'm going to be ready to go. So. It's a bit I'm of discrimination towards uh, us Republicans, don't you think, who don't want to get the vaccine? That's yeah, fun. us Republicans. I love how you like to play devil's advocate. I, I know you're, I know you're such a hardcore red man there, but hardcore uh, Texas. But we have reached the point. You've probably been reading that um, some states can't give it away now. You know, they they have reached that point where only people left to be vaccinated are the COVID denying idiots, and so they can't they can't give it away. They can't give it away. <laughs> No. Hey, I still wear my mask. I think that's good. <laughs> Wearing the mask, particularly in your case, because it covers up your face. I like that. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> so do you want me to play a song? Should I do that? Yeah, let's do it. We'll, do it, but we'll, a... hold on. we'll close out with it. Um, All okay. right. Uh, before we close out the podcast with your song, yeah. there's one question to ask. What? Oh, that's right. Do the honors. Okay. You ready? What's your too hard, too fast story? Okay, fair enough. Or you just got pissed drunk. Oh, so it has to be intoxicated as well? Nah, okay. You could be high either way. Well, well, that's a form of intoxication, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's true. Okay, well, here's, here's the story. Yeah, I went I mean, to... We all know what happens at songwriters camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is actually a tale from the early 80s. Oh. Um, and it was in Wisconsin. I worked for three years at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. And through a long story, we did a staff training up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is north of La Crosse on the way to the Twin Cities. And we, my friends and I, we were all residence hall directors. So we ran dormitories and had students staff that we were responsible for. And we were up there in Eau Claire. I think the place was called Fall Creek. It's just a little rural area up in northern Wisconsin. And there was this bar there um, with a Hispanic bartender. He was a really interesting guy. He was a flaming homosexual, which was not a problem for us. We didn't, we didn't care what he was. But he was very, fla uh, very flamboyant. And we had a great time with him. And a couple years later, the guy we worked for was getting ready to celebrate his 50th birthday. So we decided to go back up to Fall Creek to interview this bartender who knew our boss and make a video, a funny video. And so we did that. But this guy, and you would have loved it, George, because this guy was a huge tequila fan. And he ran this bar, and he had a lot of probably really good tequilas. But I was never a, a, a great person for throwing down shots of tequila like one after another after another and just it's not something that i do but i did it that day <laughs> you went yeah. too hard too fast too hard too fast and he also he had this salsa you know which was like hot 
really hard to like no fucking way hot, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of a scale. And so he was having us chase it with, um, with these shots and then ice water. We were just like gorging ourselves <laughs> on chips, unbelievably hot salsa and God knows how much tequila. All right. So I'm probably the lightweight of my, my friends. I wasn't having to drive, which was fine. So my friend is driving my other buddies in the front and I'm in the back and we're driving home and, and, this was fairly late at night from Fall Creek, and it's a foggy night, and it got so foggy that the police stopped us and made us stop driving because it was too dangerous to drive. You couldn't see, even with the headlights on. It was like movie movie fog kind of thing. So it finally cleared. By now, I'm totally drunk. I went too hard, too fast. <laughs> my head is spinning. I ate all this shit in my gut. Oh, we shit. finally get driving fast again. That was it for me. I threw up all over my oh. sports car in the back. Bruh! I just fucking <laughs> left it all, not not outside the window, in his fucking car. <laughs> I, I went too hard, too fast, and he was so pissed off. He had just bought this car, and now it smells like Jim Eddie puke, right? <laughs> Not a pleasant smell with all of that pickled vodka and all the nachos and everything else. So I had to spend quite a bit of time cleaning and disinfecting and trying to deodorize the huge mess I had made in my buddy's car. So that's that's the story. And I can when I when I think of it now, even now I can still remember how horrible I felt when I destroyed that guy's car um, because I went too hard too fast with tequila and spicy salsa that's right it'll do it man well that's what we call a uh, too hard too fast two hundred dollar uber charge (laughs) yeah no kidding (laughs) kind of story (laughs) (laughs) man i can imagine the smell i I don't even want to imagine the smell oh what that story said cheers cheers i'll drink caramana 1.78 1.8 here we go 1.8 Mm. Boom. All right. All right. Two Let H two me... efforts. We have gone too hard, too fast. Hell yeah. With Jim Eddy. Jim Eddy sounds like the perfect name for a singer songwriter. And at the very least, one of the best moonshines you can probably taste. <laughs> um Jim Eddy has said that he's gonna close us out with one of his uh, original songs. Right. So, with that said, Worm, what are you going to say? Go chug some tequila and spicy salsa. You won't regret it. (laughs) You'll you'll regret it, though. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's see. With that said, remember, Jitter Be You, Jitter Be Weird. Jim Meddy's going to play us out. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah, so anyway, um, William Blake is one of my favorite poets from the Romantic era, along with Samuel Taylor Coleridge and um, Wordsworth. And I've read a fair amount of William Blake also. Here we go. And so the first two lines in this song are literally from a William Blake poem. And it goes, great things are done when men and mountains meet. And this is not done by jostling in the street. And he's not necessarily talking about actual mountains, okay? I mean, there's not a lot of mountains in England, 
Okay, at least there, at least not in London where he lived. So he's you know being a little bit metaphorical here um, when he talks about mountains. So your mountain might be whatever it is. So I've written a song about challenges and entitled it Men and Mountains. So this is the song I'll do for you guys. Are we ready? All right. Great things are done when men and mountains meet And this is not done by jostling in the street That's what William Blake observed As his eternal muse was served That great things are done when men and mountains meet well, there are precious few mountains you can see from London town. The Thames cuts through the center of the level ground. So what do you think he meant when he said that momentous things would come to a head and that great things are done when men and mountains meet? Well, maybe your highest mountain is found where the ship of your ambition has again run aground or in the gathering of the enemy army in the valley below. Or your mountain could be the fear you never could face, that thing that always seems to scratch you from the race as you feel the underutilized potential inside of you grow. Not just me forgetting the lyrics either. Sha la 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 la. Do 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 da 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 da. Do 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 do. Pull out your climbing gear and engage that daunting peak. The gauntlet's been thrown. The challenge is what you seek. The time is now, there's no need to wait. Life slips through your fingers while you hesitate. And great things are done when men and mountains meet. Yes, great things are done when men and mountains meet. It's not the mountain ahead that wears you down. No, it's the grain of sand in your shoe that you haul around. That's it, fellas. Men and Mountains. That was really good. Really, I good. appreciate it. Thank you. Warm. All right. Can you hear me? Now can we can. Okay, that was real good. Thanks, Worm. Appreciate it, my man. And thanks for having me on your pod. It was fun.
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks for being on. Cheers. Absolutely. Cheers. Good luck. Cheers. To Cheers. men and mountains. Men and mountains. Men and mountains. <laughs> Love it. I like to, I like to consider there. myself uh, a mountain of a man. <laughs> a goodly man mountain. <laughs> Just don't look.